We continue in our uh, letter of Galatians today, chapter 5. Let's share in God's good word together. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. anxious this week or less anxious this week are you having consolation or are you having desolation how is it with your soul that's what the Methodists would ask each other how is it with your soul and nine years ago this month Chantel and I went to Michigan with some Methodist friends of ours and we'd never been to Michigan it was our first time and it was lovely we went to Traverse City and um, we kind of looked around there we went in August of course because Otherwise, it'd be super cold. And it was glorious with beautiful flowers and vineyards and the most incredible clear water. I love that sunflower. Like, nope, I'm not turning. I'm not doing it. And so we, we spent a week studying with United Methodist mentors of mine. And we even went to a, a vineyard after, named after my wife. And so um, Tom Harrison, Adrian Cole from across town. He was a senior pastor over at New Covenant. Jim Jackson uh, down in Houston. We all chipped in and we paid for a New Testament professor. Uh, they paid more than I did, I'm sure. Uh, to teach us about Paul and his letter to the Corinthians. And it was a rich and wonderful time. Now, at the end of the week, uh, Adrian had the car, and he picked us up, and he drove Chantel and I up to the Upper Peninsula. Anybody been up there? Yeah, it's really, really neat. It was summer, and it was gorgeous. There they are riding bikes around the, the island. Now, we were told, though, that the lake freezes over for four months in the winter. And so, to a depth of at least like 10 feet. And people would drive, back in the day, they'd drive their horse-drawn carriages in the old days. And, and now, of course, snowmobiles. That's how they would go over in the winter. And even cars and trucks all the way to Mackinac Island. I don't know that I would want to do that. Because there comes a time in late March into April when spring comes. Even to the north lakes of Michigan. Then it gets dangerous because suddenly the ice is not 10 feet thick. It's thin and dangerous. And wise drivers don't attempt to cross it anymore. Amen, right? You just don't do that. And it's even been said that they would, the locals, they would put out an old car in the very middle, an old clunker that didn't run anymore. And when it started to sink, 
they would know that it's time to stop driving over the ice. Now, soon the lake will be unfrozen completely, and the boats, well, they'll be operating again. We took that little ferry. It was awesome. And anyone who wants to take their car to the island, well, you're not driving across the water, are you? You have to take the ferry. Now, in Galatians, last week, this week, Paul's point is this, friends. Spring has come. Spring has come. Things are different now. For more than a thousand years, their fellowship with God had been established through the Mosaic law, through the law. That's how they did it. But not anymore. See, winter is a time of waiting, isn't it? A time where there's certain things, modes of transportations work when it's during winter. But winter's gone. It's gone. Spring has come. And all the beauty with it. The forest turned green. But think about this, friends. What if you became so attached to driving across the lake that you just won't do it any other way? What happens to you then if you refuse to change? Well, you're either going to be stuck on the shore at one side, and that's the best case scenario, right? Or worse, you're going to drown in stubbornness. Because whether we like it or not, the ice will not hold us in June. It will not hold us in July. It will not hold us in August. And Paul's opponents, to use this illustration, were eager to insist that everyone should cross the lake by car, regardless of season. They had developed all kinds of rules for getting across. And the chief thing for those starting into the Jewish covenant was the males had to get circumcised. That's the way you had to do it. And Paul says, no, not anymore you don't. Spring has come forever, forever. It's never going to be winter again in the kingdom of God. It's always spring. Christ has come. The Messiah has come. So New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says it like this. He says, this was like starting the engine of the car. It was the sign that they had committed themselves to making this crossing by route. But Paul's whole point is that the route is no longer available The law no longer works. Spring has come. The ice has melted. There is a new way over the lake. And this time, spring is for good. And Jesus Christ is the bridge. There is a way. And you can take it. Or you can try to drive your car across the lake. It's up to you. Because the Messiah has come in Jesus. And God's new age has broken in upon the world. All the world. And winter will never come again. Our entire time frame is from the time of Jesus to today. And the time of Jesus and before. Because everything changed in the entire world with Jesus. And this is Paul's main point as we come to these ancient wisdom that Paul's trying to share with people in anxious times. And then and now, you, you probably know this, there are people that just do not want to believe it. They just don't believe that you don't have to do all the stuff. That it really is Jesus plus nothing. If you missed last week, that's what we talked about over and over again. It is Jesus plus nothing. There's nothing else that you have to do for salvation. Now, there's lots of things you're going to want to do, and will come out of you naturally. We're going to talk about that today. But it is Jesus plus nothing. And so what we learned last week is that these six chapters, they changed the world by making Christianity a world religion rather than a Jewish sect. Right? You and I would not be here if it weren't for these six chapters in the Bible. Very small book of the Bible, very important. 
And so in terms of history and context, uh, I wanted you to know some things about the Galatians. Because it changes everything if you actually know who's there and why it's being written and who are the players. Well, Galatians were the original nomadic tribal people of Europe. And they were super scary. So here, here's the thing about Galatians that most people don't know. They were um, really known for as long as 800 B.C., almost 1,000 years before Jesus. They were in full function. And people would know them because they were super scary. They would have costumes and they would tell all their stories. It was a verbal um, kind of language. And, and so people, it was said that they were so scary that when they would come to your town to take you over, you would just turn around and run. Because when you saw them, they looked like this. They painted themselves blue. They took lime and put their hair back in kind of a mohawk. They had a shield and a sword um, and a belt around their waist with the heads of those people they had killed previously. Or on a spear. This, this is how people create these. These are going to be uh, the Celts, right? It's Galatians, Gaul, Gaelic, Celtic Christianity. So these nomadic warriors memorized thousands of songs and poems with no written language until 50 CE. Imagine that. They would just tell the stories of the faith of one another for more than 400 years after Jesus. Right? Now these people were strong and they were powerful. And they sacked Rome in 387 B.C., Almost 400 years before Jesus. And they conquered the most powerful force in the world, the Roman Empire. And they were in a position to dominate history, um, scholar Timothy Joyce says. And you might say, well, well, why is that? Because they look like this. Right? I mean, it's God of War stuff. I mean, this is, this is how people saw the Galatians. But that's not how it ended. Right? Rome, they went back, they regrouped. And Julius Caesar, you may know of him, heard of him. And by 50 B.C., 50 years before Jesus, Caesar had come in and he had killed by his own account 1,192,000 Celts or Galatians. And so you see these people had been at war for centuries. Now Rome is on top of them. They are big, scary people. They do things their own way. They have their own language. They have their own rituals, which includes human sacrifice. And Paul comes to this and says, there is a Messiah. There is a king above all kings. And his name is Jesus. And he comes in love. And he's trying to connect them with Jewish Christians and with Greeks and with Romans who all want to follow Christ. That is a diverse church, friends. Different languages, different countries, different cultures, different belief systems. One Christ. And so when it comes to Galatians, but by the time they become the Celts, what they're known as is the other, right? It's Greek, Keltos, which means the other or the stranger. What do you do with the stranger? What do you do with the other? Paul had to figure it out. The church had to figure it out. And so from Paul's writing in 50 CE, the earliest writings we have from him, 4950 of the Common Era, to today, the church has wrestled with this question, haven't we? Who's us? Who's other? Who's in? Who's out? Who's a member? Who's not? And this has been the struggle for thousands of years. Now, the part that I was not fully aware of, which is super important, is that the biggest and most obvious problem facing this new movement, this Jesus believer movement in Rome, is that the Ro- in the Roman world, everywhere you went, on the streets, uh, you couldn't go you know, almost out of your house without coming across an idol or a temple to one of the Greek gods or one of the Roman gods. And worship of them was compulsory 
It was the law. You had to worship Julius Caesar as God himself or one of the other gods so they didn't get angry and do terrible things to you. Again, go back to like junior high mythology and world history and, and read up on that because that's what Paul's coming into. You had to worship, except, except there were these Jewish people that were so stubborn. They would only worship one God. They would not yield. They would die before they would turn and worship idols because their faith told them that's what they had to do. And so just in order to keep the peace, in order to keep the Pax Romana, right, to, to be able to rule, they said, Jews get a pass. But they're the only ones. They're granted an exception. So you have Rome. They had beaten Rome. Rome beats them back. They're under them. And then you have the Jewish Christians. And Rome says, well, we can't control them, so you don't have to do that. But you have to worship your God, but not, not all these. Okay, we're going to do that, but no one else. And, by the way, we know who that is who's in and out by circumcision. That's how you can tell. And so that worked. Until Paul. Paul comes in and has the audacity to say, no, no, that's not right. It's Jesus plus nothing. So Galatians is really all about the unity of the church. How do you get the Galatians and the Romans and the Jewish Christians to come together? It's a very political, sticky wicket. So, and it goes all the way back to the beginning of the faith, all the way back to Genesis 12, because you and I are here because we are part of all the nations that are blessed. So in Genesis 12, it reads like this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, Abram, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Because they're going to carry Jesus. And Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so everyone is blessed through him. And the God of Abraham, right? The God of the Jews. He did exactly what he's promised all along. That he did bring the new creation for all nations. Through Jesus. For everybody. For everybody. And Paul says you, you can't take that away. Because that's the deal. So these, these Christians... They, not only, they don't have to do this. They don't have to be circumcised, and they don't have to worship these other gods. Well, if you're the Jewish Christians before that, or you're Rome, what do you do with that? Because now you have another group of people who don't, they say they don't have to follow the rules, but they're not the people with the exception. And if you don't handle this right, people get killed. Yet, in the face of that, Paul says, God shows no partiality. He just doesn't. He's come for everybody by the Abraham promise. And N.T. Wright, we said this last week, there can be no outer circle and inner circle with the grace of God. There's just the family of Christ. It's one, one circle. And Michael Slaughter says it like this, life in God is received, not achieved. It's really that simple. Spring has come. The law is gone. What you have is the Holy Spirit that Christ promised and is with us now, which is where we get our name, Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes. So that we believe that we are guided by the Holy Spirit of God. And we have ways to confirm that with one another. We, have, we do that in community. It's not everybody gets to do what everybody wants to do single-handedly. Uh, you may or may not know this. Uh, Pastor Brandon is the head of the Board of Ordained Ministry for our entire state. And there are people every year that say, I'm called to be a pastor. And sometimes we say, yes, you are. We see that. 
We see how you bless this, and we see how you speak here. We see how you work with the poor there. We see how you work with children over here. We've, we've watched you. We've watched your school. We've watched you um, pastor a small church. And, and you, yes, we agree. And there are other people that say, I'm supposed to be a pastor. And we go, no, you're not. You're not. You may think you are. You may have good reasons to think you are, but you are not. And if you are, you're simply not ready. And so we're going to defer you, and we're going to watch you another two or three years. It's a very painful process. But friends, not everybody, you cannot say, God calls me to do this if nobody else is saying it with you. Does it make sense? That's dangerous, right? We put those folks in mental hospitals, right? I know the will of God, and it doesn't matter what any of you all say. We don't do that. So we, we come to this really hard thing that Paul talks about in Galatians 3, and that is the law was our disciplinarian, he writes, or our babysitter until Christ came. And so we have all of this stuff, and we have all of these books, right? We have 66 books, and most of it is the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all law. And so Paul writes this not just to Galatia, but also in Romans, his great theological treatise. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period, done. For the law of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law, the law of sin and of death, because he says the law will only lead to death because you can't do it. It's only by the Holy Spirit grace that you can actually start to live this out. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, which is your own power and abilities, right? It, and this is where we get tripped up all the time because we read flesh and we think sexuality. That is not what Paul meant. It's a really tough translation in the Greek, but it is your talents, your abilities, your ability to do what you do, right? It's your resume, so to speak. And Paul says in the flesh, I was the best of all because he was well-educated. He had a great resume. But he says, you're never going to get there. Even Mother Teresa can't get there. Even the Pope can't get there. There's nobody who has a good enough resume to say, God, you've got to let me in. Nobody. Never has been, never will be, except for Jesus. And so Jesus invites us in, and that's the deal. It's Jesus plus nothing. But you, he says, you're not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. So the deal is this. God has given his own Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, to be transformative energy, to give you the power to say yes to the things he would have you do to bring heaven to earth, and to say no to things that would hurt you or others, which is what we do each week when we come to community. And we, community, we ask God to fill us with Holy Spirit power, with grace, God's real action, right? Constantly everywhere. So then last week, when we got to Galatians 4, we said, will you be a gatekeeper with this power, or will you be a lock picker? Are you going to say, no, I have power now, and so, so that you don't mess it up, I'm going to keep you over there because you're a weirdo. Now I'm going to be over here where things are nice and safe because we're suburbans. We like things nice and safe, right? That's why we live up here. And so it's hard to get out of this deal where we're just used to being gatekeepers, right? I mean, it's just, it's just part of the deal. It's how we're raised. But Paul says, no, no, no. We want to be people who are lock pickers. We want to be people who set people free. Not keep them out. So in Galatians 4, 6, he says, And because you are children, children of God, God has sent the spirit of his son Jesus into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, about the relationship, that we really are this close to God through Jesus. 
And N.T. Wright, um, the great scholar, he puts it this way. He says, Paul's concern here is to foster the love that must replace factional fighting and the corrosion of social or cultural envy and jealousy. It would be ironic, he says, in the extreme, if a present-day concern for the purity of justifying faith opened the door to culturally conditioned squabbles and factional fighting. On the grounds that to practice costly love for one another would run the risk of compromising one's justification. It's to read it exactly backwards. And you see it all the time. All the time. You you do realize that there was one church until 1054. It's a long time, friends. Half of the Christian faith. There was just one church. You have the Great Schism in 1054. You have two churches in the East and the West. You get all the way to the Protestant Reformation in 1517. On my AP Euro people say, amen, I know this, Pastor Mark. Right? You learn this stuff? Today we have more than 36,000 denominations. Because of this. Who's in, who's out? Gatekeeping. So Jesus, the Messiah, is personally present in the form of the Holy Spirit in the new community for blessing others. That's what, it, that's what God's here to do, to bless others. That's what we're here to do. And again... N.T. Wright's going to say this. We, it's really hard on us in the West because we have this idea of this revivalist individual salvation, which was not in anybody's memory, at least until 1517. It was always community. Always community. The scriptures were read never by yourself. It wasn't in your language. You couldn't read it anyway. Right? The priest would read it to you. There are good reasons for that because if you don't know the context, if you don't know what's going on, you're going to read it wrong. And sometimes you get the exact wrong conclusion. Now, I think Bible reading is good, right? We, we do Bible study, we go all the way through the Bible every year. But friends, if you want to, if you read the Bible long enough, alone, it's amazing how God can sound just like you and what you want. If you don't have anybody else to bounce it off of. Happens all the time. You want something, gets in your lens, you can find a verse that'll back it up. You just can It's not supposed to be read that way. It's never supposed to be read that way. It's always supposed to be read in community, for the community, for the blessing of the world. So N.T. Wright says this. He says, Christian virtue is a team sport, friends. You can't do love, peace, patience, gentleness, and so on all by yourself. This is a list of the qualities you would want to see in your neighbors. Wouldn't you love to live by somebody like that? Yeah, that too is a part of the point, he says. A community that behaves like this both internally and with outsiders will be inherently attractive, even if people can't figure out what is going on. And friends, people do that with us all the time. We're like, we cannot figure Acts 2 out. Are are they a conservative church? Yes. Are they a liberal church? Yes. Are they a centrist church? Yes. You mean everybody's welcome? Yes. Even people that don't think like me? Yes. Mind blown. And I would submit to you that this is the most important work in the world. Really. Because if we don't start figuring this out, we will be at civil war. We will start killing each other, devouring one another, biting one another. Because we refuse to talk, we refuse to get in the same room with other people. And it's getting dangerous out there, isn't it? Where you don't even trust the people who are there to protect you anymore. I mean, it's getting weird out there. And so how do you know if somebody's actually following the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul says his central concern here is for the harmonious unity of Christians, of the Messiah people in Galatia. Really, all of them, from all these weird and wacky backgrounds. So Paul is addressing a situation where angry factionalism 
fueled by sociocultural pressure and threats from the outside, is threatening to actually tear this little Christian community apart. And this is the real point of chapter 5. Because we can't let that happen. We have to show one another love. We have to be understanding. We have to forgive. We have to figure this out. So Paul is now arguing, N.T. Wright says, Paul is arguing against behaviors that would break up that single family. And he starts to list them. So this whole letter is about church unity. Paul again seems to be addressing a particular problem. People are bringing a competitive sociocultural mentality to the church. So it's not really about the church. It's about the way they do it. You understand what this is going on? Okay, so when we talk about works of the flesh, by the way, that's plural, right? Works of the flesh. They all look inward, don't they? They're all about me. All of them. It's about selfishness. If you look at all the lists, that's all about selfishness. He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, Paul does. He says, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, right? The ones that are about you. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Now, which ones are important and which ones do you get to not do? Well, it depends on whether you're on the left or right. Doesn't it? The right has those that they say you can't do that, and the left has theirs that says you can't do that. And to those who don't think like I do. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And Paul says, by the way, I'm warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things, on the left and the right, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what he's not saying is you're going to go to hell. That's not what he's saying. And by the way, heaven and hell are not some place that you go after you die. It's present, eternally, forward and backward. Read N.T. Wright, he will blow your mind. So what does this mean then? Because people go to this list all the time, and they make a very narrow conversation about it, that excludes me. I get, the, I get off the hook and it points to someone else. You see this all the time. So what do these actually mean? First of all, let's just say that 8 of the 15 are about division, anger, enmity, strife, and quarrels. More than half of them. But we don't talk about that. We like to talk about the first part. Maybe. You wouldn't want to talk about it if you actually knew what it meant. Because fornication, pornea, the, word, the Greek word pornea, where we get pornography from, is the most naturally refers to sex with a prostitute or non-marital sexual activity. All non-sexual activity. All of it. Which is much harder today, since we don't get married at 12. It just is. Let's be honest about that. It's much harder to be celibate today than it was in Jesus' day. Because you've got from 12 to about 28 with average marriage time. So this, everybody's in trouble here almost. Don't look around. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Right? So then you come to uncleanness. Well, what does that mean? Well, again, the Greek is a catharsa. And it indicated the behavior that makes one impure in terms of temple cult. Oh, okay, now we're back to that temple thing that Paul's saying. He says, friends, you can't do the stuff at the temples and not get us all killed. Because they're going to think that you're not playing by the rules. Because the Jews are only one to get a pass. And the Jews aren't going to play well with you if you keep doing the things that they can't do and still get a pass from Rome. This is very political, friends. They're just trying to make it happen. They're trying to stay alive. And then you come to licentiousness. I don't even pretend to know how to say that. I think it's a How do you say it, Brandon? Thank you. I just asked Brandon. But this thing, it's, it's a very wide term. It refers to the kind of behavior that has cast off normal restraint and control. 
And it can be in anything. It could be in anger. It could be drinking. It could be sexual. It could be all kinds of things. It could be business. It could be workaholism. But we never translate it like that, do we? We narrow it down to something that's not us. So N.T. Wright says, hostility, anger, and party spirit, by the way, which is not woo-woo-woo. It's Democrat-Republican party spirit. Right? Friends, they're all about me and my friends. Scoring off against some other group. Isn't that true? And Paul says, it's not going to work that way. You can't stay together if that's where you live. Because that's not Jesus. Jesus is about washing feet and serving one another. So the fruit of the Spirit, singular, right? Not works of the flesh, plural. The fruit, one fruit of the Spirit, is explicitly outward-facing. It's the exact opposite of selfishness. It's love, it's great-heartedness, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness. And it looks into the wider world and community. They orient the person toward others. A life of service. A life of love and care and grace. And you'll notice that all these go together. You can't be kind without love. You're not generous without love. You can't be faithful. right? All, all these things go together. It's one fruit with lots of expressions. So Paul writes, by contrast, the fruit... Right? The one thing that comes out of Jesus and the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And by the way, I know this trips people up. Generosity and goodness get flipped back and forth depending on your translation. It's okay. It's good to be generous. Amen? We're not to stewardship yet, but it's an amen. All right? So you find that works is plural, and it produces a large number of bad behaviors. And it's linked only by their destructive tendencies because it's selfishness. Fruit, on the other hand, singular, in contrast, comes as a package deal. With no specialization where kindness and all the others are unified in one kind of person. So Paul says this. If you want to know people who follow Jesus, not a list of what you have to do to get to heaven. That's a misreading. But he says if you want to know who actually follows Jesus, look for these things in their life. And more than likely, that's someone who follows the Messiah. On the other hand, if you see somebody who actually as a pot stirrer, that's not of Jesus. Don't follow them. He's just showing you how to discern in community. Now, I do not think that Paul is supposing that the Galatian believers are in danger of the antinomian lifestyle. That means party, 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 Las Vegas, Corinthians, right? He would meet in Corinth, which is a port town, like New York, Amsterdam, L.A., all that. New Orleans, his warnings against living according to the flesh are directed not against licentiousness as normally envisioned, but against a different kind of licentiousness, the biting and devouring of one another, the sort of thing we see every day in the news. Mutual competition, yep, and jealousy of verse 26. He is saying, in effect, so you want to see what an identity according to the flesh would look like? Well, let me remind you about the normal pagan lifestyle. Is that really the company you want to be keeping? He's like, you know, you know this. You know the people who do this. We're not supposed to be like that. The Holy Spirit must be the guide, the teacher, the director, and power source, and not self, not law. Because if we live by the Spirit, let us also be then guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another. There's not better than or envying one another. He says no. So Paul's target here is not libertinism. Right? He's not arguing against Corinth. That's a different letter. It's an important letter, but it's not this one. Nor indeed moral uncertainty. That's not what he's arguing against as a whole. But a specific form of a recurring sociocultural problem in the church. 
division, where some people think we're better than others. Perhaps there were small groups arguing for subtle different positions, which would then splinter again and again and again and again. And perhaps these different positions would be held by people with slightly different cultural or political inclinations. Can you imagine that that would happen? It's always happened. It's always happened. It happens still. And that is when you get the fiercest arguments, isn't it? When you have a nuance on something that I know the real stuff and you just think you know. Well, you hear the arrogance in that. Right? Which in a hot-blooded Mediterranean culture could easily mean violence as people shunned one another or threatened not to do business with one another. That was a real deal. Teaching their house church and their children that this was the right way to follow Jesus and that what they did in the next street was clearly, clearly out of line. You get that, right? We do it right on my street. The people on that street don't. Now, friends, this is what I want you to know. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Scripture says that Jesus is the only way. Your way to Jesus is not the only way. You understand the difference? Jesus is the only way to salvation. He has come. Spring has come. Your particular way of coming to Jesus is not, and you do not have the ability nor the capacity or the audacity to get people in line to the way you do it. Even if you're the pastor. Even if you'd like it so. It's very dangerous when we get there. So what are we supposed to do in the face of all this anxiety? Well, Elaine Heath, the former, Duke of, uh, former dean of Duke Divinity, she says it like this. First of all, these are not easy to do, but I recommend them to us. We're trying to do this every day here at the church. Uh, I recommend it to you in your life. First, show up. Show up, it's half the battle. Show up to God, ourselves, our neighbors, and our world, and be honest about that. Really show up. And when you do... Pay attention. Pay attention to what's there, what's going on inside yourself, and what's going on around you. Read the room. Read the culture. Pay attention. Show up. Pay attention. Listen for what God might say to you. And then, as you listen, cooperate with God. Whatever God says. Whatever God invites and instructs and corrects or encourages in the situation at hand, whatever that is. And you're not doing it alone. You're doing it with your small group. You're doing it with your Sunday school. You're doing it with me and Brandon and other pastors. You're doing it with grandma that knows the faith up forward and backward. And you're like, Does it, I think God wants me to do this. Does that sound right to you, grandma? And a lot of times you're going to say, yeah, I do. And then, this is the most important part, you release the outcome to Jesus. You be obedient. We are obedient. The result is God's. Do you have the ability to make other people have the result that you want? The answer is no. You don't. We don't have other control. So we have to consciously let go of the result, recognizing that God is God and we are not. And by the way, when you do that, when you get there, it's a whole new world. You can actually be happy at Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and all day. You can actually not throw a fit when your child loses a soccer match. You can. You can actually be happy. People can cut you off in, in traffic. And you're like, huh, well, I wonder what I'm supposed to learn about that today. Rather than chasing them down and getting yourself killed in a road rage deal, which still happens every day in our country. You see the difference? It's really important that we see the difference. So here's our action step. First of all, as a church, right, the people of God, commit and invest in a spiritual community where wisdom and love prevail. The world needs it. So if you find a community of faith, whether it's here or someplace else, where 
it, everybody's welcome. It's the wisdom of the scriptures. The scriptures are studied deeply, thoughtfully, by people who know the language, know the context, and, and we work hard at it. And when we do, the result is not faction, division, fighting, and quarreling, or scarcity, but love. Where everybody's welcome, everybody's blessed, everybody has a place at the table. If you can find that, stay there and invest there. It will change your life and the world. And then, because I doubt, I don't know, maybe you got there last week. I did not get there. I'm, I'm still asking God for a warm heart and genuine concern toward believers who are different from you. Not just sometimes, all the time. We did that last week, but I bet we still have to do it this week. What do you think? Probably so. Anyway, did you have any fun? This is really important stuff. It really is. It'll change the world stuff. And so I'm, I'm pleased to share it with you. I do want you to know that I don't come to this lightly. And Brandon and I have spent weeks and weeks and months now. I, I preached this text at Bible school last month. Uh, I preached it at camp the month before. I mean, I've been working on this for a good three months. It's not something I come up here and wing. And so if, if you're having trouble with some of this and going, I haven't heard that before. Just know that I hadn't heard some of it before myself. But I'm working at it. And I pray you work at it too, that we'd be open to what God would say to us this day and always. Let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.